sir, are there any questions in the question box? We have completed all of them, sir. Okay. Uh, so we have now the second paper on another interesting topic. Uh, and now it's my pleasure to invite uh, Professor Arivasan from uh, Nimhans, uh, who is going to moderate the next session. Uh, Ari, can you please take over? Yeah, uh, good evening to everyone. Is my uh, screen visible? Yes, sir. Is my screen visible? Yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. So good evening, good evening, everyone. Uh, nice to be part of this. Thank NSF for giving this opportunity. So we'll, uh, after that uh, excellent talk on uh, and discussion on the Moyama disease uh, and treatment, we'll go to the next interesting article. This is on a different aspect on treatment options for asymptomatic meningioma. This paper is recently published, I think, last month in neuro-oncology. So, to, to understand the background now, we know that meningioma is the presently the most common brain tumor in adults and how it has even overtaken the number of malignant gliomas. And uh, this is from the Stipitrus data from US. And most tumors are now being diagnosed uh, as asymptomatic or incidental lesions because in the facility and access for imaging have increased. And this has resulted in picking up a lot of these lesions when they were not symptomatic or uh, are not large enough which will require surgery. Uh, so we do not know as it clearly what is the natural history for these small benign asymptomatic meningiomas. How do they progress? What is the progression rates at 5 years and 10 years? And when one can expect an onset of neurological deficits? Uh, in the absence of all these definite numbers, how uh, a treatment option can be discussed with the patients and, adv and advice can be given to them. So, in short, there are no clear guidelines. And we are also, the factors that would influence the decision making, like the size of the lesion, location of the tumor, age of the patient, etc., etc., can be generic. But when it comes to a single particular patient, it may be not so easy. So, there are three possible management options available, namely expectant management, watch and wait or uh, radio surgery, uh, whether to give it upfront or at progression, and whether one would consider surgery for an asymptomatic incident detected meningioma is another controversial question. So all this basically requires evidence to make a decision, and uh, let us see if this particular paper can give us that evidence to make informed decision making. Uh, Dr. Harsh, assistant uh, professor from uh, neurosurgery from NIMAS will present the paper. Uh, I'll invite Harsh to present the paper. Yes. Um, so, uh, it is often said that uh, man should be judged by his questions rather than by his answers. However, many a times we have had a patient in our OPD who has come with an asymptomatically diagnosed meningioma uh, with an MRI image and depending on the number of neurosurgeons that he has visited, he gets a number of opinions. Only to come years later with the progression of a meningioma which may require surgery at this time. So, it is my distinct pleasure to present a uh, paper which uh, will deal with this uh, enigmatic question. This was an international multi-center study uh, cohort uh, in which two cohorts were made and ultimately matched to find out uh, the effect of gamma knife or serotactic radio surgery on incidental meningiomas. The main author of the uh, paper was uh, Dr. Jason Sihan. In this in this uh, study, uh, as Sir has previously told in the introduction, meningiomas comprise of 13 to 26 and in the recent Sibitrus data ha have overtaken gliomas to be the most common primary brain tumor. Uh, in the prevalence of asymptomatic meningiomas due to increased use of brain imaging for minor head injuries and non-specific neurological symptoms has started to increase. However, the optimal management in these cases remains con uh, controversial. A population-based survey in United States showed that uh, neurosurgeons or doctors alike will still choose longitudinal surveillance over treatment for these cases. However, in a follow-up of more than four years, 24 to 92% of these tumors will show a linear increase in size and 18 to 88% will show a volumetric increase with tumor-related signs being present in up to 10% of these cases. This is not to discount the fact that anxiety of having a brain tumor and mood changes which happen in these patients have not been uh, correctly documented. 
and surgical treatment for uh, these patients has considerable limitations to health related quality of life there is no doubt that resection remains the treatment of choice for symptomatic meningioma however the benefit to risk profile in an asymptomatic meningioma will still lead us to choose expectant management here in srs becomes increasingly uh, important as it is minimally invasive and can be used for asymptomatic meningioma considering all this in in hindsight uh, the international multi center matched cohort analysis or the impasse study was done which was a multi center matched cohort analysis of asymptomatic meningiomas to test the efficacy and safety of srs in these cases there were two cohorts which were made one was the uh, serotactic radio surgery cohort which was uh, filled by the international radio surgery research foundation in which baseline tumor uh, char- patient characteristics tumor characteristics and treatment variables were added and longitudinal follow up data were given by 14 centers in 10 countries the centers obtained their respective institutional uh, review board approval and uh, shared de identified data with a single iirf coordinating office with the study coordinating investigator in the observation cohort the two centers were chosen for uh, observation cohort that was the university of virginia and the walton center nhs foundation both of these centers have uh, had a large number of patients who were diagnosed with asymptomatic meningiomas and thus could serve as as the observation cohort to see whether the meningiomas progress or not the diagnosis of all these meningiomas was based based on neuroimaging findings only all the history available was limited if possible was limited only to grade 1 meningiomas patients were more than 16 years old and multiple meningiomas were excluded patients did not exhibit signs on symptoms at diagnosis which were attributable to the meningiomas in both the groups patients underwent longitudinal evaluation and serial neural imaging and clinical assessment at their respective institutions with the data being shared by the uh, to the central iirf uh, study coordinator the progress of the meningiomas was uh, quantified using a retro uh, response assessment in neuro oncology to revise these this is a progression in these cases is defined as 25% or more increase in size increase in the edema or any new lesions or clinical features which are attributable to the tumor alone the intervention in these cases was done uh, by a gamma knife which was delivered in one one session and uh, mri or brain ct with contrast was used for serotactic targeting the srs technique and dose selection was left to the uh, institution which was treating the tumor the outcomes were uh, primary endpoint of this tumor, of this study was the uh, local control which was adjusted as i previously told by the rano criteria is stable being defined as volume change less than 25 regression decreased by greater than 25 and progression increased by greater than 25 tumor regression progression tumor uh, progression free survival and development of new neurological deficit was also taken into account new neurological problem was defined as a focal deficit which was attributable to the tumor itself progression free survival was uh, quantified in the uh, as radiological follow up in terms of months and a new neurological deficit was change in the global or focological neurological status attributable to the tumor the statistical analysis was standard with the uh, contiguous variables being uh, analyzed by student t test or man whitening u test and categorical variables were fisher exact test the two cohort uh, cohorts were uneven at time of collection and they were ultimately matched together by using propensity score matching this is a type of matching which is used for in a statistical analysis when the data or the characteristics of each of the cohort uh, will affect the outcome and there will be no unmeasured variables which will affect the outcome hence this was an important statistical step that was taken to increase the strength of the study the univariate comparisons of the unmatched and matched cohorts were also done coming to the results this was the baseline data that was collected there were significant differences in the initial unmatched cohort as can be seen in the srs cohort the mean age was significantly less as compared to the uh, conservatively matched cohort the uh, karnofsky performance scale in the ma- in the srs group was also significantly less as compared to the conservatively matched cohort the location of the tumors was also significantly different with unmatched uh, or uh, conservative tumors having more convexity based meningiomas as compared to the srs based tumors and the srs based cohort having a higher cul based uh, meningioma rather than the matched cohort also imaging follow up for the srs cohort was longer as compared to the conservatively matched uh, conservatively managed cohort 
so once this propensity management uh, propensity score management was done both the cohorts had 311 uh, 311 patients as compared to 727 in the srs previously and conservative having 380 now the age of the two groups were matchable again baseline karnowski scan however still remained uh, significantly different being 90 and 100 volume of the tumors also became uh, equivalent and hence uh, the results were much more matchable now in the unmatched cohort the tumor progression was observed only in 1% of the cases in the srs cohort however the tumor progression in the conservative management was to the tune of 36.3% this was uh, as i told previously done by radiological man tumor control was uh, observed in 99% of the srs cohort with only 64% having tumor control in 64% of the cases tumor regression was observed in 45.4% of the srs cohort and as expected only 0.8% of the cases in conservatively managed group actually regressed neurological deficit was observed in 2.5 to uh, versus 2.8 this neurological deficit was attributable to the meningioma and then only was counted in this uh, in the kaplan meier curve as you can see in the observation cohort the observation or progression that the, that the progression was on the y axis and years was on the x axis the progression had even started before the first year had elapsed and it kept on increasing as the years went by however in the gamma knife cohort or the srs cohort there was only one case which actually progressed which was after four years coming to the results in the matched cohort which were more equally matched and hence the results are much more applicable tumor progression was observed only in 1% of the cases in the srs cohort whereas it was observed in 38% of the cases in the conservatively matched cohort tumor control was much better here 99.4% in the srs cohort whereas 62.1% in the conservatively matched cohort new neurological deficit was observed in 2.3% of the srs cohort and 3.2% of the conservatively matched cohort again coming to the progression free survival the progression had started in the observation cohort before the first year had even ended however in the srs group the progression started only after 2 years of the treatment done new neurological deficits that were observed in the unmatched analysis was in 2.5% versus 2.8% of the two groups however the point to be noted in these cases is that tumor progression was observed in 90.9% of the cases in this patients who had uh, new neurological deficits however new neurological deficits with tumor progression was only observed in 11% of the srs group in the matched cohort the numbers even changed further being 90% in the observation group and 14.2% in the srs group as i previously told the tumor progression in the unmatched cohort was 36.3% in the observation one and 1% in the srs group in the matched analysis it was 37.9% and 1% in the srs group coming to the discussion this was an international multi center trial with 1117 patients with asymptomatic meningiomas managed with either stereotactic radio surgery or observation the un- in the unmatched group 99% of the srs treated versus 62.5% of the uh, group had uh, tumor control new neurological deficit was only observed in 2.5 versus 2.8% and not every tumor that progresses by rano criteria will have new neurological deficit however over the years as progression increases they may lead to worsening neurological deficit when stereotactic radio surgery is given no cases of radiation induced malignancy were observed till the follow up was arranged however late sequelae in srs patients with asymptomatic meningiomas will require a longer term study especially in this cohort this finding has also been proven in previous papers when one is to one propensity score matching was done 311 patients were there with a follow up of 46.5 months tumor control was again higher much much higher that is 9.99.4% in the srs group and 62.1% of the observed group new neurological deficits were 2.3 and 3.2 active surveillance followed this shows that active surveillance followed by stereotactic radio surgery at radiological or clinical progression is a reasonable treatment methodology SRS affords a local tumor control which without increasing the risk of neurological deficits durability of the tumor control as has been shown in previous studies in a uh, in WHO grade 1 meningioma is almost 95 to 97% at 5 years and continues up to 10 years to be around 
studies demonstrate a low risk of new or uh, worsening neurological deficit in these patients and studies have not really focused on asymptomatic group have rather been focused on residual or recurrent meningitis even uh, in five year prospective studies 70 70 in which 70 untreated meningiomas were followed up the natural history of these meningiomas showed that 75% actually demonstrated progression by around 15% of the volume in another study by sugre et al 65 cases were taken and 34 35.4% has an increase in size by more than 2 mm during a mean follow up of 74 months and progression occurred by 50% in in 10 years in a meta analysis 44% of all untreated meningiomas and 49% less than 2.5 cm demonstrated growth rapid exponential growth of asymptomatic meningiomas will be seen in 7 to 10% cases and the risk of development of a new neurological deficit at 5 years ranges from 0 to 10% symptoms are more likely to be manifested in those cases which have an initial asymptomatic meningioma thus srs confers benefits of tumor control while avoiding the risk of resection in those cases which will have progression SRS will also confer no increased risk of neurological deficit. In this study, the mean age of these patients was 61 years, and the at-risk period in which they can progress, we're considering the life expectancy will be much more than 10 years. Thus, this SRS will alter the trajectory of the growth of the tumor and alter the natural history. However, further longitudinal study of the SRS will be needed to prove that this provides a long-term neurological protective effect. the decision to treat or observe an incidental meningioma will remain multifactorial depending on the natural history weighted against the patient's age comorbidity burden and personal preference How, however in majority of the surgically removed uh, cases they are of who grade 1 and srs treatment in these patients it may be warranted because of the higher risk of progression and period at risk will will be substantial in duration thus in conclusion of this paper they have stated that a multi center mass cohort analysis of uh, srs afforded a superior radiological control did not increase the risk of neurological deficit had a lesser risk of cns progression of tumor with no increase in the development of new neurological deficit it altered the natural history of the tumor whether tumor control will lead to preservation or improvement of functional outcome will lead to have a longer follow up till then chirotactic radio surgery with active surveillance are reasonable options Chirotactic radio surgery in asymptomatic meningioma in a patient having no imminent medical threatening issues remains a reasonable solution. However, a randomized controlled trial of active surveillance versus chirotactic radiation will be the ideal solution to our conundrum here. Coming to the strengths of this study, as stated by the author, there is a large population of the SRS and observation study. Participation was from various centers and various countries, which gives us a real world view and improves generalizability of the results. the statistical score uh, methodology of propensity score matching really improved the impact of the results however as i have observed while reading the tumor it tackles a contentious issue which is not usually discussed and does not have a clear protocol it opens up the debate at least by providing a non inferiority of srs as compared to observation and uh, a randomized controlled trial in this uh, field can be considered and there is a good duration of follow up as with other studies which which do not capture the srs effect in this study the srs effect has been captured quite clearly however before i go to the limitations it must be clearly stated that this study is very difficult to carry out and had a lot of uh, study participants due to this there were a significant amount of limitation that is the study was a retrospective in nature since the decisions of the srs treatment and observation were taken by the different centers there is a source of inherent selection bias which was not accounted in the statistical matching there was a potential to include who grade 2 grade 3 meningiomas however since they have shown that very few cases cases were ultimately operated there is a very little chance that grade 2 grade 3 meningiomas were actually included in this uh, study there was a mean duration of follow up was approximately 4 years and longer surveillance is needed for long term risk of malignant transformation or increase in tumor growth and gen- and long term effect of the chirotactic radio surgery pediatric cases were not taken quality of life and cost effective analysis was not done the rano criteria that was used is basically used for uh, gliomas or other brain tumors and is not been uh, validated for meningiomas again unmeasured variables as i told uh, the inherent problem with the propensity score analysis is that the unmeasured variables in these cases should not affect the outcome if they affect outcome then the propensity score matching will have a uh, limited amount of effect on the results 
performance status and quality of life measurements was not done eventual use of steroid or surgery has not been fully recorded the amount of patients that were operated has not been told conclusion regarding overall functional outcomes could not be drawn secondary outcomes were considered exploratory that is tumor progression and they were not included in the main analysis neuroimaging review and this is a major limitation was done by the observational centers themselves no neuroimaging data was collected by the central iirf uh, investigator how this may lead to uh, reporting bias and there is no centralized imaging core or education of these findings so inter intra reiter reliability remains in question surveillance protocols for radiological and clinical assessment were dependent on the institutional protocol uh, protocol and were not standardized they did not collect specific data in the variations of the stereotactic radio surgery other limitations which i had observed that there was no subgroup analysis of female patients age specific or location outcome tumefaction cyst formation or hemorrhage which can be seen after uh, stereotactic radio surgery was not recorded there is no analysis of surgical outcome versus srs in these cases now coming to the opportunities this this study presents a real world view of what can be done for asymptomatic meningiomas this study combined with two other studies that have been done in similar cohorts one by dr shihan himself and one by kim et al clearly show that there is an alternative mode of management apart from active surveillance and probably a randomized control trial in this uh, field would give us a final answer although it may not be ethically feasible coming to the threats there was no blinding hence results were triggered to be tilted towards srs follow up was enough to capture the treatment effect but not enough to capture the adverse effect and the contentious issue of radiation includes malignancy which is very very low actually 0.00045% over 10 years has not been captured because the follow up was only up to 4 years however this latency may range from 2 to 19 years this has been proven in various studies to be similar to the risk of development of uh, radiation induced malignancy in a general population and steroid use or protocol and the effect of the steroid has not been documented in this study thank you Uh, thank you, Dr. Hush, for uh, very lucidly describing the paper. Uh, now uh, we have a uh, Dr. Birender Prasad, the professor, uh, is a very ex- uh, well-known neurosurgeon and with great expertise in uh, in radio surgery, uh, internationally renowned. He is from Roswell Park Cancer Institute, Buffalo, New York, uh, who has joined us uh, as an expert panelist for this paper. we have dr manjul tripathi from uh, department of neurosurgery pj chandigarh who is one of the authors in this paper so uh, i thank you thank both of you for joining this session to discuss this paper uh, so thank you first uh, let me have some comments on the paper first my first comment is in fact it's uh, very happy to note that uh, this is a major multi multi center international study and uh, we are able to participate from as one of the centers from india that's a welcome uh, point and uh, in fact we are happy that this paper has come up with, par- with participation from india and uh, second point is uh, like dr hash pointed out this is one of the studies which has very large number more than 1000 patients of asymptomatic meningiomas undergoing radio surgery which itself is a mammoth task to collect so uh, the larger the number we would we can uh, consider the results to be more convincing uh, so that is another uh, plus point for this study having said that the authors themselves have listed a lot of limitations as riders to uh, to use the data results from this study for day to day practice so uh, can i ask two questions to dr manjul tripathi who is one of the authors uh, manjul like uh, dr hash pointed out there are two three points which Uh, will make us understand better one is is uh, how do how did the authors uh, address the selection bias in the study while analyzing uh, and uh, because most of the centers had srs cohort only one or two centers had cohort for observation so does that mean the all other centers did not have a protocol of observation and always gave radio surgery up front is there a selection bias of the center itself and the third question which uh, so can you answer would like to take the questions so as it was uh, very well mentioned by harsh so we cannot outrightly refute and uh, a risk of selection bias in these patients 
But whenever these patients now come to any SRS center, any neurosurgical center, usually the patients are given a cafeteria choice with the level of evidence. So uh, there is always for an incidentally detected meningioma, an option of observation versus SRS is given to them. And it's the patient which you, who usually choose it. Yes, there might be a bias because it's such a large trial from 14 multi-international uh, 14 centers. So the bias of selection cannot be outrightly refused. But this protocol was discussed when uh, the when we were uh, floating this idea of getting a data. So most of the uh, centers actually accepted that they give the option of observation versus proactive gamma knife to these patients, and it's the patient's choice which is usually followed in these cases. Uh, yeah, if that be the case, uh, are there any data from patients who were observed in these other centers? Uh, who gave radio surgery? Would that have added strength to the paper instead of having a conservation group only from one or two centers? Definitely. So if, that, if that data can also be added, that would definitely add to that. But uh, that was not added in this particular study. Yeah. Before I ask more questions, uh, can I invite Professor Girinder Prasad to make his expert comments on the paper? This is one of the large multi-center multi international study with a far-reaching impact on uh, uh, management outcomes or management options across the world, I'm sure. Uh, sir, your expert comments on this. Um, so I think uh, Harsh did a great job summarizing it, and Manjul's point is absolutely right, that you can never eliminate bias, but uh, I think most of us who practice radio surgery honestly will always offer surgical resection and observation depending on the patient, location, and all the other factors. Um, and yes, when, whenever possible, uh, even though observation is discussed, data like this is also presented. Uh, this publication makes it possible for multiple practitioners to actually use this in their patient guidance and not, uh, and not talk only of their own personal experience. So I think the paper has value. I think we often attach too little importance to retrospective studies. There's a lot of things that are done in our clinical practice based on sound clinical judgment that does inform our decision-making. So to just uh, assume because it's retrospective it doesn't have value, I think, is flawed. At the same time, I have to say one of the things that should come out through this paper is methodology. All radiosurgically treated patients, especially gamma knife, um, because of the nature of the follow-up process and the fact that most of us, at least we certainly do, we bring 100% of all our follow-up studies back into the planning system and delineate the target and actually follow volume, not linear dimensions. And that is critical because unless we can ensure, and, and I agree with the presenter that central review, the only value central review would have added is that the followed patients who were not treated as well as those who were treated would have had perhaps volume assessments on one system. Volumes can come out differently if different software is used. So I know the Gamma Knife people would have all used Gamma Plan, and so it's the same algorithm. And since volume was one of the criteria for deciding response versus failure, it becomes important. Uh, I don't think I will ever be able to convince radiology colleagues anywhere, uh, certainly not in my group, and, and I don't think I can convince anybody to delineate volumes and not just talk about maximal dimensions in three directions. Uh, which somehow seems to be adequate for everything, including irregular shapes like vestibular schwannomas and meningiomas. So I think, if anything, the study should in, encourage people to follow both their observed patients and treated patients the same way. And for us, I can tell you personally in our group, that's absolutely true. If I choose to observe a patient, they undergo the same intensity of imaging follow-up that those who have been treated will, and they will all be then imported and stored within our planning system, and volumes are delineated, so I can advise them when I see a change. I usually, so when I did this with a colleague, uh, a radiologist, looking at these subjectively and telling me if the tumor was growing or not, uh, with a very experienced neuroradiologist, our observation was that it took about a 15% change in volume for them to pick it up on linear dimensions. So this study actually takes 25% and more as failure, uh, we start to worry when we see more than a 15% change, but we don't necessarily trigger recommendation for treatment at that point in someone who's being observed. 
By the same token, when we tell you we did not succeed in our treatment, it's when the tumor increases by more than 15%. Fortunately, in meningiomas, you're not going to see that sort of uh, early increase in volume that is seen commonly in vestibular schwannomas. So these tumors generally sit tight, stabilize, or shrink, except when this is confounded by changes in surrounding brain. So that raises a couple of other uh, interesting things that I think while this paper begins to increase our appetite for something like that, it does not quite state it out. And I think more than limitations, I think possibilities is where we should look. Um, and uh, so I think Jason and the IRF and, and the, um, the group have really done a good job. Um, selection bias can never be removed. But I think that no matter how you look at this data, no matter how you look at the statistics and the cohort matching, there is no question that even the raw data is strongly disfavoring observation. Now, observation is okay if the patient is either disinterested in any treatment or has no access to treatment that is considered, shall we say, uh, less invasive. We can't discuss surgery versus radiosurgery here. That's not the purview of this paper. But the reality is if you're choosing between observation and radiosurgery, my usual recommendation is that the downside is low enough that treating and observing is still better because as we watch these patients age, they also become higher surgical risks. If these tumors are going towards critical structures, they become poorer radiosurgical candidates. So it really depends on where you are at with your initial presentation, whether or not observation is even a reasonable recommendation. And uh, when it is, when it is convexity meningioma doing nothing to the patient, um, we often have offered observation. This paper will simply quantify what the likelihood of failure is. However, the length of follow-up in the study is very small. So you have to understand that um, uh, if, if you, Harsh, if you stop sharing for a minute, I want to just yes, share yes. my screen fairly quickly. Done. Okay. Um, let me just share my screen. And uh, can you see my screen now? Yes, sir. Okay. I don't need to go through the whole slides, but I want to bring out a few things for you guys when we're talking meningiomas. So one of the things that we're about to publish is a technique that we've used a lot in our meningiomas. As you can see, this is an atypical meningioma patient. We started using gallium-68 PET, rotate for these because these, these tumors express uh, endocrine receptors. And you can see even after treatment, Recurrent or residual areas become stay gallium-68 positive. So when you're evaluating meningioma response, I think this is going to become a very big mainstay. But the point I wanted to make in this was time matters, because even in our own material, here's our five-year data, 96% control. It's not as good as this paper's, but this is a real series of all our patients, no choices, no selections, no exclusions. But look at what happens at 10 years. Now, I don't have histology in all these, and that is a huge concern because what we found, and, and that's something else that we are about to publish, that when you look at your higher-grade tumors, your response is not going to be as low. good. So here's your um, here's our atypical meningioma overall survival compared uh, overall in anaplastics, and when you compare our outcomes with our long-term outcome in grade 1 meningiomas, it is definitely much poorer. So what's changing is this. Now, this is CR data analysis, and this is relevant to this discussion because when we just sat down and were about to publish this and looked at, we've seen an increasing number of meningiomas. You mentioned correctly that it may be the number one fastest-growing brain tumor diagnosis, partly because of ubiquitous MRIs, also because I think it's genuinely increasing in incidence. And so what's happened is that we are now finding that the rate of diagnosis of both typical and atypical meningiomas is dramatically increasing. In fact, the proportion of atypical meningiomas we're encountering in our surgical cases has gone up way beyond what could be explained just by the fact that we have uh, changed the criteria. WHO did change the criteria. But despite that, uh, what we are noticing, I mean, we, bought, uh, we got our gamma knife icon about three in 2016. The single biggest indication change that has driven our volume 
We've gone from about 500 cases a year to nearly 700 a year now, 724 last year. The biggest number that changed was atypical meningiomas. So this paper, because it's dealing with patients who have not had histology, does leave a very, very important discussion clinically. If you go back to the patient with a paper like this, you have to tell them that if I see you growing quickly in the early phase, you saw you saw increase within a year. I would worry very much that tumors that start to grow within a year of follow-up may not be typical meningiomas. And that's a whole other ball of wax because your radiosurgical outcomes are not as good and perhaps surgery becomes indicated. So practically what we do is when we follow someone or even before we decide to offer treatment, if we observe that the rate of growth, and that, that comes back to volumetrics, so even a patient who's being offered radiosurgery, Manjul, we're going to go back and bring their prior images, whatever we have available, into the treatment planning system and actually meticulously delineate all the volumes so we can get a growth trajectory on the target before we choose radiosurgery. Because if someone has a rapidly enlarging tumor, has edema in the brain around it, multilobular appearance, lack of calcification, or any blurry margins, then those become radiologically highly suspicious for atypical nature. And they will, even if they are not symptomatic, even if they are small, we would give a serious consideration to surgery. So I think that while this paper makes a great case that observing it in itself is perhaps not great, and we've done the same kind of analysis for trigeminal neuralgia. It's becoming clearer that treating them sooner rather than later makes more sense. The later you wait to treat them, the poorer the outcome. Acoustic neuromas, Rajis had shown very nicely in the French study that if you wait, you lose hearing more likely than if you treat early. So once you have radiosurgery as a tool, deploying it, I think, in a meningioma setting, Properly chosen patients adds minimal risk and definitely improves the natural history. However, before you offer that, understand that the change in the meningioma population that is occurring, and I think that's real. I think, you know, we, we were curious and we looked at the surveillance data, and I think we have made a, a pretty strong observation that not only is the incidence increasing, the type of meningioma we're seeing is changing. So I have a feeling that this paper will perhaps get recolored by some of those statistics. And uh, and as we go along, we'll have to keep in mind, but we need longer follow-up because the radiosurgical response here is too good. It's because it's only 48 months. If you watch long enough, you're going to see some failures. So keep in mind, nothing's perfect, but uh, I, you know, the general premise, I agree, that it does provide objective data with all its limits that can be used in counseling our patients. So thank you for the comments. Uh, just to go back, uh, like uh, the paper says about asymptomatic meningioma. So here's, here these are patients who have been diagnosed with meningioma when they've been imaged for something else. So now we're going to offer treatment. Uh, so my question is, uh, though the data shows over five, five years there is 40% chance of progression and 10 years 96% progression, is there a case to just wait and watch to see if the meningioma really increases in period of uh, in the size and then give the treatment when there is a documented progression of one or two millimeters, then give up give the treatment early because here we are talking about giving radiation. So is it does it make sense to delay the radiation treatment longer or further during the lifetime than give okay. it early on? Yeah, it's a great question. So that brings us outside of this paper, but brings us into the consult room with the patient. And that's precisely what you gotta know. Why did you diagnose the meningioma? Now, if the meningioma was incidentally diagnosed, as it often is, because of trauma, then you have essentially a healthy patient where they, unless the trauma has disabled them, expected normal survival. And short-term follow-up, since you saw from the paper that failure can occur within the first year, I think a short-term follow-up, one other MRI, perhaps six months or even a year later, not a bad idea if it's a relatively small tumor. Move this tumor now close to the optic nerve, and currently you have two to three to five millimeters. Now, you have an opportunity to do radio surgery right now versus if you wait and it really grows closer, you're going to be forced to operate. So that's an important consideration too. Where is it located? Finally, what's the background of the patient in, in their terms of their therapy? Have they ever received radiation when they were children? If this is a radiation-induced meningioma, while it will be a grade one, the odds that it will grow slowly is somewhat less likely. They tend to grow a little bit more convincingly and progressively. So those are people perhaps in whom waiting is not a great idea. 
uh, they have had radiation and now they're seeing a radiation-related tumor, their willingness to accept yet another kind of radiation might be lower. And that's a conversation we always have, but something to keep in mind. And finally, there's a group of patients, and this is not, uh, I'm pretty sure most of you have seen this, patients are immunosuppressants. They tend to have a tendency for their low-grade tumors, acoustics and meningiomas, to grow. Women, especially if you're seeing multiplicity, I don't think that the case is to treat every single one of them, but I would certainly make the case that the larger ones should be treated while you observe the smaller ones. So there's no one answer as to who gets to wait and who gets to get treated, but I think all these factors inform your decision-making. Things that, as Hirsch correctly pointed out, some of these ancillary factors are not incorporated in this paper. No one's really categorized why you waited or why you treated. That's the piece. You're just taking intent to treat, intent to observe, and analyzing it, which gives you some statistics, very raw and very crude statistics and impressive statistics. It's not a small difference. It's a big enough difference that makes the case that the longer you wait, you're just delaying the inevitable. But, uh, but it really does bring you back to the original question of what is this meningioma sitting in the setting off? Asymptomatic is only one part of it. The background of the patient will tell you a lot about why that meningioma is asymptomatic or how long it's possibly been there. Uh, thank you, sir. Uh, Dr. Manju, this uh, brings to the same point. So is there any clarity in the data whether this, all these patients who underwent radio surgery, uh, they underwent radio surgery at the first pickup or they had a period of wait and watch prior? And the second is, uh, was seizure considered as no symptom or did they not have any seizures at all because uh, what was that asymptomatic meningioma and if you because if you look at the KPS data the KPS in the SRS group is 90 yeah. uh, mean KPS is 90 compared to conservative group which is 100 so that means they had some problems yeah. to bring the KPS down from 100 to 90 so are this group really asymptomatic or they are okay with minimal symptoms uh, that's a very interesting and very good question sir actually so, all the symptoms related to which might be attributable to a meningioma, not only seizure but a headache also, was actually excluded. So, if any patient had these symptoms, it was considered to be a symptomatic meningioma, not an asymptomatic meningioma in these patients. And we had an analysis of the time of the radiological discovery of a meningioma and the interval between that and the gamma nitrate surgery. So, that was rather uh, shorter duration time. It was less than a year in most of these patients. And I totally agree to uh, Dr. Dhiren's comment, Dr. Prasad's comment. A meningioma is completely entirely different uh, philosophy compared to a vestibular schwannoma because it comes in different permutations and combinations at different locations and uh, with different sizes. So uh, in clinical practice, it becomes a completely individualized approach. With this paper, we shouldn't get an impression that every asymptomatic meningioma should be treated with radio surgery, but because of the lesser complication profile and better safety, long-term tumor control, the option to simply observe an asymptomatic meningioma is increasingly becoming less reasonable these days. Because the patient always have an option to get an SRS. 7 to 10% patients, as Dr. Hirsch recently uh, just told, they show a rapid growth, and as Dr. Prasad uh, rightly told, that uh, they might be a different pathology. It might be grade 2 and a grade 3. So these patients, if you keep an observation and looking at their growth, if they show an exponential growth, if they show T2 hyperintensity signal changes and presentation is with the seizure, I would rather discourage radio surgery in those patients because radio surgery is not going to improve your seizure profile. It's irritating your cortex, and in those cases, actually, the surgery is going to be much more helpful in comparison to the radio surgery. But in the long term, as we have taken a criteria of 25% change in the size, this is a really good size to have a change, which usually appears for a visible change. Uh, I'm especially looking at locations because this is the parent paper, and there is a subgroup analysis. Location-wise, is going to come up for a tenoidal meningioma, cavernous sinus meningiomas, Foron magnum meningiomas and the petrous meningiomas, those are giving, going to give us further more information about a proactive radio surgery versus observation in those patients. Like I told, a clinoidal meningioma, just a two to three millimeter change in the size, is going to make a difference between the surgery and radio surgery. A small petrous meningioma, just a little change in size, may make a secondary trigeminal neuralgia, and probably the surgery would be a better option in those patients. 
so uh, the age location and the size are the main factors which we are going to uh, take into consideration while we are uh, offering the treatment options to the patient thank you uh, are there questions from uh, other uh, panelists or participants other faculty in the group which we can take okay uh, so i have another question uh, from the same study so again uh, to to practice the same devil's advocate if you look at the data the data shows that there is radiological progression between the two groups which is statistically significant one is uh, the control is 99% in srs versus 68% in conservative group whereas the actual neurological deficit the onset of neurological deficit is only 2.5% in both the groups so are we treating the patient or are we treating the image So I think that's a, that's absolutely the correct question to ask because and and, and believe it or not, almost ninety uh, percent of the time, if the patient is smart enough to understand, I do tell them that I'm not treating your MRI, I'm treating you, and um, and there are other things to consider. This study is actually quite uh, quite remarkable in the paucity of side effects for meningioma treatment. We all know, and I think the subgroup that Manjul talked about might reveal that that. Uh, Parasitoidal meningiomas are a unique group in which treatment is not benign. When you treat this with radio surgery, especially if the planning is not done carefully and bridging veins are included in the treatment field, you can get profound edema, sometimes hemispheric edema, and that can actually make a very poor outcome for the patient. So, radio surgery should not just be assumed as a minimal. In fact, I never have liked the word minimally invasive when it comes to radio surgery. Radio surgery, in my opinion, as a neurosurgeon, is just like surgery. the only difference is the tool i'm using i am still putting a pretty big dose of radiation inside the patient's skull adjacent to often eloquent brain and critical nerves and the idea that that's somehow less invasive than a open operation in skilled hands where everything is done with good control is wrong and in the wrong selection and the wrong approach to planning you can actually hurt the patient so there is no question that there is no such thing as a benign neurosurgical procedure and a story i mean this is a procedure and it has its consequences so yeah you never want to treat the mri alone and interestingly you also have to guide your patient those patients are not part of the study but there will be plenty of symptomatic incidentally found meningiomas patients have headaches now is it truly connected to the meningioma nobody can tell you but the fact that headaches are so common and then the meningiomas found incidentally how do you connect it to what is more easy to connect is seizures especially if seizures are associated with a focus that you can map to the same area you can definitely correlate t2 changes flare hyperintensity things like that which are adjacent to a meningioma with the meningioma but uh, and in treating those meningioma especially if they're large then shrinkage is not the common outcome does not always change those factors so again just looking at the mri the mri may not get better the patient getting better is a whole other game so what you promise a patient is really dependent on what the patient presents with and it's very interesting that despite excluding patients with obviously correlatable symptoms the karnofsky was still 90 yeah. see the problem is that patients with sometimes say a suprasolar meningioma will have hormonal deficits now those things are not clinical symptoms but the reality is they are hypothyroid or they are generally just their axis is down and they are tired so there are patients i have treated and i treat patients because of my dual training also with imrt and conventional radiotherapy when they are large and before i had icon if they were in contact with the optics and could not be operated i treated those patients with imrt over 4 or 5 weeks the one difference i've seen between radio surgery and that type of treatment because there the hypothalamic axis is less protected is the profound difference in the degree of tiredness these patients experience so treatment is not benign i mean these patients can have my neurology colleagues will tell, tell me that they sometimes see increase in headaches after radio surgery and it's a very difficult problem for them to control so i think again this paper guides you when you're choosing between waiting and treating in a patient you have carefully reached the point of saying treatment is reasonable mm-hmm. if you have not reached that decision that treatment is reasonable to offer 
And as in everything else, the real skill in radio surgery is not treating the tumor. It's knowing when not to treat the tumor. And that's the part that you learn with time, and I think conservative radio surgeons. The nice thing is this paper includes groups of people contributing studies who are all well-known to be good practices, big practices, and there is a tendency in those practices for a mature decision-making process. So despite the retrospective nature and the biases that are built in, I think that the selection process in Virginia, the selection process in Bangalore, the selection process in Roswell, uh, with Consulc at NYU is very mature. We're not just seeing a patient and treating them. So that's the difference. So yes, I don't think most of us, we never want to treat the MRI. We definitely want to establish if there's any doubt, short-term growth at least. And if there is no short-term growth, you're definitely back to square one and say, look, if you want, we can wait another year. As long as you choose to follow them carefully, this curve does not apply because those people will be caught when they progress and you'll treat them as soon as they progress. The corollary would be that if you treat them at any point, the initial volume changes, but the outcome does not. So they may be a little bigger than when they're presented, but once you treat them, they stabilize at that volume or shrink. So it's not that you cannot recover. Salvage is possible. That is not the part of this paper, but that curve simply tells you how far you have to catch up should you treat them later. And the only time volume catch-up matters is if it's going to be a critical structure compression. And never, never give up your knife, even if you have a gamma knife. Do not forget that neurosurgery still remains, surgical removal still remains, maximal safe resection still remains the first management for a benign tumor with well-encapsulated margins. Not to give that up. I understand there's a lot of tendency these days to treat radiosurgery as a sort of, okay, I'll do radiosurgery for this. And I have trained neurosurgeons who did meningiomas for their whole life, have written papers, the foundational papers, on surgical removal of meningiomas. And when I was training them, I asked them, I said, why are you learning about radiosurgery? Their answer is very telling. They told me, I've spent, there's more than one person, I spent my career looking after meningiomas. My patients want radiosurgery. I want to do the radiosurgery. The other thing is that this is a gamma knife paper. Please keep that in mind. Radiosurgery done by the gamma knife has one big advantage, that the neurosurgeon is intimately involved in this process. All radiosurgery is not alike. And this study changes if you include all stereotactic radiosurgery. The biggest change you will see is that the side effect profile will not be as good. And your direct control on the patient will go away. So keep all that in mind. And don't forget, ultimately, this was the, the Neurosurgical Society of India, right? Let's not, let's not forget we are neurosurgeons and we need to be able to cut the cure. Thank you, sir. Any, yes, sir, please. Uh, uh, I yes, think, doctor, uh, yeah, I think Dr. Prashad's comments uh, must be really important. Uh, I, the, my only observation is if you, nobody reads that present the whole paper as thoroughly as we are discussing it now. So yeah. most of the people, especially residents, they, they will come to read the conclusion. Yes, radio surgery is better. So my apprehension is, unless they know what we have discussed, they will, we may see many patients who are asymptomatic incident meningioma getting radio surgery, but it's really not required. So that is my apprehension. And this is a, not an off-the-cuff mark. I mean, we have seen patients people uh, going uh, reading one paper and starting doing it. So that's the only apprehension I have. And that's what Behendra Pishad already pointed out. It's not uh, the location. There's so many factors which have to be taken into account before you decide to give radio surgery for asymptomatic, incidentally detected meningioma. That's the only apprehension I have. We may not get people getting the press meningiomas and all those things. One of the reasons this topic is the same. And I hope younger people are listening to uh, this kind of conversation. Uh, any more comments and uh, questions, Dr. Motukumar? I, I think what Dr. Gupta said is very relevant, not only to this paper, but also to all publications in general, because I think not only residents, sometimes even senior people just skim through the paper, and they probably they... Each paper is not dissected to the same extent which we have dissected these papers today. So if nobody looks at the tables, we just people skim through the paper, often look at the conclusions, 
and uh, sometimes they base the treatment the strategies based on that so it is especially when you are talking about trials the people who read these trials should know there are strict inclusion and exclusion criteria and the patients whom we treat on a day to day basis may not fit into the study criteria which the particular paper has applied so this that is something which many people i think not only neurosciences others also do not take into consideration this applies not only to this paper but the other papers also it's a very important point which dr gupta has raised and you know the nice thing about the journal clubs today it really this is the model for journal clubs you want to have the author there too because when one of the authors is part of the discussion these questions can be answered and the questions are absolutely relevant and you can't just read the paper because much of the editorial process eliminates some of the gnarlier points that the authors might even have wanted by the time it comes out in print it looks very smooth and nice but the reality is the statistical tests don't tell you everything the big picture is in how you chose who you put on the study where you drew your endpoints where you drew your criteria for growth stability diminishment all of that makes a big difference and uh, and that's exactly what discussion like this uh, brings out so and, and reading the journals is an art honestly reading the journals that are out there today how many are there you can't read everything anyway so if you can't read everything and discuss everything then it's probably smart to pick a few things and and do something like this i think your point is well taken dr prasad i think in the earlier paper by dr sk gupta after i read that paper i was under the impression because unfortunately in that paper they have not mentioned because dr gupta in his discussion mentioned they do routinely spec studies for their patients which was not mentioned in that paper i was astonished why spec studies were not done in i was under the assumption they have not done spec studies which dr gupta once he highlighted because i was about to ask a question on cerebral reserve capacity etc but on spec studies but they have done it probably as dr gupta mentioned for want of time in space constraints they have reduced the number of variables so these are certain points which he, which come out in the discussion it was very nice excellent dr pujari over to you uh any further comments or over to dr jeev pujari i thank uh, i thank the presenter dr harsh and uh, the panelists the professor dhirendra prasad and uh, dr manjul tripathi for active uh, contribution and a very nice and extensive discussion on this paper uh, over to dr jeev pujari sir and thank you very much for nsa for this opportunity i just uh, i just want to make a comment this is the time the all three institutes who bhavana for here aims is here nimans is here pgi is here this is a time to start a, a multi institutional trial especially in india so that we can have our own data on meningioma yeah. and different all the kind of the gamma nanof indications which we do so that we can have a better data and uh, that would substantiate our evidence and i think much yeah. what you can do would make a huge impact to your practice within india and i think would be sort of a showcase for the rest of the world would be quality of life impact especially with smartphones so ra- so readily available and all the it manpower you have you should be able to generate an app that's in multi languages that allows patients to report back to you their quality of life after you do observation radio surgery surgery for that matter and that would give you a that would actually be a model for people you have the advantages that uh, are unique the numbers are large enough that you can make a study meaningfully within just a few years and um, that would be you know i i think i always whenever i look at the indra premier league versus the nfl i always know that there is a a volume effect that india can produce very quickly and be a behemoth the irrf will look like a baby compared to what you can generate just with three gamma life institutions there I think there's a point well made, Manjul. I think better still would be all the major institutes, at least four or five major institutes, can start a registry as such. Because once you start a registry, you can draw upon that registry and produce paper, multiple publications over a period of time. So it is better still, instead of a single study, it's better to have a registry involving multiple institutes, at least half a dozen institutes. I think it's doable. Some, somebody like Manjul should take it up. Yeah. and if you need any help manjul i'm more than happy to help
thank you so much thank you so much thank you thank you thank you sir uh, dr dio pujari uh, we are on time sir for any closing comments see there Uh, is probably is okay if he's not there i should thank on behalf of nsi i should thank uh, uh, the panelists uh, and the authors for joining us and all the participants i think i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this discussion each paper was dissected good bad in fact in the, in the second paper i wanted to raise raise certain limitations of the study and hart we had discussed it in such a way that there's nothing much for me to discuss so it's nicely discussed i think i should compliment both the presenters and the authors as well as the panelists for a very good discussion i thoroughly enjoyed it on behalf of nsa uh, it's my thanks to you all all of you thank you we'll see you next time let's close the session thank you thank you very much thank you sir